Hello, weary internet travelers, and welcome once again to Formative Filmography, uh, featuring the co-hosts of the Before and After Show. As always, I'm your co-host, MJ Smith. And I'm your other co-host, Corey Tyndall. Corey, how are you, sir? Good. I'm even better that we have an official name, Formative Filmography. Mm-hmm. And uh, my pocketbook feels a little too heavy, Jeremy, so uh, hit us up if you want your yeah. movies. I'm going to surprise you. Yeah. Probably shock you too. Uh, but yeah, but yeah, yeah. Probably <laughs> he has already requested that the first two uh, not be movies that we send him. Oh, okay. Yep, he is not a uh, Bridge of Spies fan. Oh, all right. Well, you know, everyone appreciates different things. That's cool. <laughs> That's Corey's. Corey's too nice to tell you you're wrong, Jeremy. Yep. <laughs> Jeremy, we appreciate you. Thank you for listening. We do. Thank you for the yes, name. Yes. It just sucks that you're so wrong about Bridges. <laughs> um, yeah. So this is uh, episode two, the attack of the clones. The one I hate the most. <laughs> you're going to hate this episode, which is fitting <laughs> given one of the films we're going to be talking about. Um, so if you listened uh, last time, what this this uh, this this podcast is about is Corey and I are counting down our 100 favorite movies of all time. Now, that does not mean we are counting down uh, a shared list of 100 greatest or 100 favorite movies of all time. It means that we are counting down uh, my 100 favorite movies of all time and Corey's 100 favorite movies. Of yes, all time. that is correct. And favorite has like an asterisk by it. And by favorite, it's either a movie that had some significance to us like sentimentally or it's on this list because either like it excels in some part of filmmaking or there's some aesthetic of it or the movie left some sort of like really strong impression on us when we saw it so our list is a mix of those things yes and i think it should be said that our list is not a living document it is set in stone for the duration of this podcast it is so if something like Creed 2, which comes out in a couple weeks, is uh, anywhere near as good as the first one, it would definitely land a spot on my top 100, but um, not for the purposes of this yeah, show. Yeah, so unfortunately uh, I can't add the, Venom to my list. Yeah. Knock, knock, let the devil in. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, uh, the, uh, before I caught Corey off guard with my flawless m and Yes, impression, wow. Um, anyway, uh, uh. <laughs> the, the other piece of this is because these are our 100 favorite movies of all time, Corey and I are of similar age and therefore, uh, came up watching a lot of the same movies. Also, a lot of people, their favorite movies tend to overlap. Yep. So there is going to be some overlap on, uh, our choices. And what we've determined for that is whoever has it higher on their list, which means the lower, the lower number gets to talk about that movie. Yep. So, for example, in this episode, Corey's number 99 favorite movie of all time is Edge of Tomorrow. Yep. However, I have it at number 91 on my list, and we're going to talk about it when we get to that episode. So, to make up for that, so we're still talking about two movies, we're picking another film from the same director. Um, if that director somehow hasn't made another film, there's one on my list that's like that, but you don't have it on your list. Um, then we'll talk about something that's either related to it, maybe an influence on the film or um, one featuring one of the key actors or actresses in it. Mm -hmm. uh, just something sort of tangentially yeah. related to the film itself. So um, Corey, in all his wisdom, decided <laughs> this week to... Uh, Almost go with a troll pick yes. and pick a movie that he knew I hated, but he hadn't seen before. In Doug Lyman, who also directed Edge of Tomorrow, Doug Lyman's The Wall. Yes. Um, my number 99 was not on Corey's list, so we're going to be talking about my actual 99th favorite movie of all time, Gattaca. Uh, so, that being said, I've got my list randomizer here. Ready for this, Corey? I am ready. I am ready. Okay. The <clears throat> wall and get it. The wall. All right, here we go. Randomize. Randomize. We'll be talking about Gattaca first. Yes, thank you. 
Okay, so Gattaca is a film from 1997. It was directed by Andrew Nichol, who is responsible for the Justin Timberlake vehicle In Time, the Nicolas Cage vehicle Lord of War, the Stephanie Meyer adaptation The Host, a movie called Anon, and, oh, the uh, Al Pacino vehicle Simone, and another film called Good Kill. So Gattaca's an anomaly in his career because mm-hmm. it's great. Uh, Lord of War is pretty good, too. But Gattaca is the story of a man named Vincent who lives in the not-too-distant future, 3000 AD. No, that's the lyrics to the Mystery Science Theater. <laughs> um, but he lives in the not-too-distant yes. future, and in the not-too-distant future, gene splicing is all the rage. And gene splicing is all the rage because mm-hmm. people are using gene splicing to remove undesirable traits from their children yes um to remove chances of heart disease to remove chances of of cancer or um glaucoma you know degenerative diseases Mm -hmm. um longevity is now a business in this future um however vincent's parents decided to not go that route with him and um had him naturally he yeah and have him naturally uh the the problem with that is when he came out he was predisposed to having a very serious heart condition that wouldn't uh gave him a 99 percent chance of not living past the age of 30 mm-hmm. um so his parents freaked out and had another child that had his gene genetic dna spliced um that was anton yep and vincent was disadvantaged by being born naturally. So he uh, gets a job at Gattaca, which is a cutting-edge space exploration um, corporation that is sending people to the far reaches of the galaxy. And he decides that he... he he's a janitor, uh, because it's about the only job he can get um, by being a... Is, do they call him degenerate? I think so. So he he can only get really kind of small time blue collar work. Yeah. And he decides that he's going to shoot for the stars quite literally. And he approaches a man whose name escapes me. Jude Law. Yes, yes. As Jerome. Jerome. Uh, he approaches a man named Jerome. Now, Jerome has been genetically uh, spliced to uh, perfection, essentially. He's an incredible athlete with, they say, the heart of an ox. Mm-hmm. But Jerome was in an accident that left him paralyzed from the waist down. Yes. And it, it, it basically it shows that, you know, even though someone like Jerome can have every advantage in life, there's not, there's still a lot left up to chance. Yep. And, um, you know, you can, you can be born into this world with every single advantage, but certain things can do irreparable damage to you. So, um, Vincent starts paying Jerome so that he can be Jerome, essentially. He, uh, there's, there's a sort of black market for people who have been genetically engineered, who have been in Jerome's position that have, have succumbed to illness or, you know, uh, physical ailment as the result of an accident, or something, and uh, they then begin selling their identity on the black market, yep. and this allows Vincent to get into Gattaca, and um, he 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 rises through the ranks, and he is chosen to lead the very first manned mission to Titan. Is that correct? That is correct. The moon yep. Of Saturn. Okay, so that's just the setup. What happens then is uh, the mission commander for this mission that Vincent has been selected for has been murdered in his office. And um, Vincent has a stringent routine that he must adhere to in order to get rid of any sort of fingernail or uh, dead skin cell or hair follicle that could be loose in order to give the impression that he's Jerome. Well, one of Vincent's eyelashes, I think it's his eyelash, falls in the hallway where the mission commander is murdered. Mm -hmm. 
And they find out that Vincent has been in that area from his eyelash. And uh, the future police basically are on the case trying to catch Vincent. But Vincent is posing as Jerome. And Vincent has, has contacts that make his eye color the same as Jerome's. He's in peak physical condition. And his, his, his ID picture is nearly uh, unrecognizable to the naked eye. So um, it's then becomes this cat and mouse, almost pseudo noir story of the police trying to catch Vincent and Vincent trying to pass for Jerome. There's also a love interest played by Uma Thurman that kind of knows something's going on and eventually learns the truth. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know that was a really long explanation, but it's a really complex movie and that's kind of why I love it. Um, I don't really go in for complicated movies, but this movie is so um, rich, I think. There's so many uh, things you can talk about in this movie. Um, and it's also kind of eerie yeah. in the sense that, you know, this gene splicing stuff is probably going to happen, and it's probably going to happen in my lifetime. We're not too far off, MJ. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really um, terrifying. I mean, we'll get into details, but there's a couple like the scene when Vincent is born. That is like mm. like it's literally the baby is born and they're there in the hospital and the nurse is like reading this sheet of paper that's printing off and it's like, you know, susceptible to this thing. Yes, like this type of disease. Yes, this type of deficiency. Like all the stuff immediately they're able to say like, "Oh, like basically pin your life before it even starts. It's crazy. Yeah. The, yeah. So the movie starts off with the question, like, would you want to know how you die? And there are kind of two schools of thought to the answer. One person is like, yeah, cause I know I could survive everything else. The other person is like, no, I don't want to live in fear. My whole yeah. life. Um, and this movie makes you face that question in the first, I don't know, three minutes. Yep. Um, and, then there's there's sort of another layer there of like what does it mean to be human? What is humanity? Um, and even the movie phrases a little bit at the very very opening um, how God or intelligent some sort of intelligent designer fits into this equation. Yeah. Um, you know, it starts off with a a verse from the Bible. Yep. It's the very first thing you see on screen. Um, and it's uh, from Ecclesiastes 7, Ecclesiastes 7, 13. I'm, this is not the direct quote from the movie. This is in my Bible, um, which is an ESV. And uh, so it's, it's, it's pretty similar. It means the same thing. Yeah. Uh, it says, consider the work of God who can make straight what he has made crooked. Um, <clears throat> and so there's this, this kind of thread running through the mm-hmm. movie about, you know, this was intended, right? Like, yeah. It was intended that Vincent be born with a predisposition to mental illness, with some sort of vitamin deficiency, with a predisposition to a heart heart condition that would um, kill him by the time he's 30. Yeah. And then we see Jerome, and Jerome's miserable because he has been given every advantage in life. He is not predisposed to this heart condition. He is not predisposed to cancer. His vision is perfect. But his life is dramatically different still. And he is severely disabled. Yeah. Even though he was born to not be. And so when you're, when you come out of the gate, um, you know, at a total advantage, like way ahead of the game than anyone else. And then you have even a little bit of that advantage taken away from you. It brings your whole world crashing down around you. And Jerome's miserable. And you can't, like, you kind of get it, man. Like, the world was his. And now he's got to sell his identity to someone to make ends meet. You know, he's an alcoholic. He's depressed. He's violently angry sometimes. Um. I don't know. I think there's just so much interest. There's so many interesting questions posed by the movie. Now, it's also, it's a pretty well-made movie. It's, you know, just under two hours or just over two hours or something. 106 minutes. It's just under two hours. I think it tells a really compelling Mm -hmm. story. I think it uses its runtime very efficiently. 
Um, for yes. you know, I mean, it took a long time for me to explain it, but it does not take this movie that long to set it up. And I think it uses you know uh, elements of noir and elements of sci-fi in a really elegant way. It's I, I don't know. I think it's a really really smartly crafted and executed movie. I think the cast is is on point throughout. It's got this kind of wonderful um, who's who of character actors. Tony Shalhoub pops up. Alan Arkin is there. Ken Marino in a very small mm-hmm. role is there. Um, and you kind of see them, you know, operating at this is kind of high level and it's it's nice. Um, so, Corey, yeah. what did you think about Gattaca? I know this was a first time watch for you. This is probably the fourth or fifth time. Uh, I was very intrigued by it. Even like you mentioned that Bible verse that starts out the movie, and then I think they contrast it with a Nietzsche quote, mm. I think, if I'm remembering it correctly. But yeah, just even from like those opening like couple seconds, I was like, oh, okay. Like I'm already interested. Like I'm hooked. Mm. And yeah, I feel like the movie The movie brings up a lot of themes and it's a movie that is asking a lot of questions, but doesn't definitively land on a lot of answers. But not in a stupid which, way. No, and I was about to say, like, generally, I hate that sort of thing. Like, if you're going to tell me something, tell me something. But it can, like, the open-endedness, like, technique for ending a story, it can be done well. And I feel like this is a movie that does that very well. And so I really appreciated that. I liked that it was a movie that really made you ponder, like stop and think like, oh, wow, okay. And it it it, take, it doesn't take a while to get going, but like kind of, I feel like it takes its time in telling the story. It does have a very like, like you said, kind of like this marriage of sci-fi noir mm-hmm. feel to it. Um, and I, I really enjoyed that, even though it was made in whatever the late nineties, obviously like technology and stuff has changed, but the way that they, um, told the story and stuff, the movie doesn't feel like super. It feels kind of timeless. Of like, like it, it almost feels like, I mean, I know there's some picture quality stuff, but outside of that, yeah. it looks like it could have come out yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like, even like how they chose to portray, Gattaca like the academy and like even the different technology they use for all the routine tests and stuff it's not honestly like really different from what you would find today in terms of like you know when they take blood samples Mm -hmm. or check things like that and I was like oh that was a that was a good call I feel like the overall aesthetic of the movie is very strong um I like a lot of the scenes happen at night and stuff. So he'll be at Gattaca and then he'll come back and then he'll go out and do something. And I just like a, a lot of the color palette that they chose to play mm. with. A lot of these like kind of deep blues and greens and like some yellows and stuff. Very like evocative of a noir feeling movie. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so that quote from the, 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 the other quote was, I not only think we will tamper with mother nature, I think Mother Wants Us To by Willard Galen. Willard Galen, okay. sorry. <clears throat> so, not yeah, Nietzsche. No, not Nietzsche. <laughs> um, and so it kind of presents the two sides of the argument. And that's what you were getting at with. It presents these questions, but it doesn't. it's not super interested in answering them. It just wants yeah. you to talk about them. And I think that's the difference because the story of Vincent and Anton and Jerome and Uma Thurman's character, whose name escapes me, is complete yeah right there's a complete narrative arc for every single one of these characters in this movie but it leaves you asking questions about what it means to live in the world that these characters live in and i think that's the perfect way to do an ambiguous movie um yeah we're talking about an ambiguous movie next episode um yes we are real ambiguous but i think ultimately (laughs) I think ultimately the uh, the ambiguity the ambiguity of that movie that we're going to be talking about doesn't yes. matter. Yeah, there's it honestly it, it doesn't. doesn't matter at all, and that's what kind of what happens with Gattaca. Like the ambiguity of the themes ultimately don't matter to the story of Gattaca because they're themes that honestly philosophers and great minds have grappled with forever and so this movie wasn't going it wasn't setting out to give a definitive here is the clear-cut answer here's what we believe 
they did a good job of like the narrative comes to a resolution Mm -hmm. and like you know you could you could infer like okay some answers from this argument are true maybe some arguments from this like side are true but the movie isn't like slapping you over the face and saying like hey this is the right thing to believe and so i feel like it does a really good job of getting you to a place to really think about things Mm -hmm. yeah well and i think you see you know you see I almost feel like the movie does come down on hard answer, which is that just don't play God because well, the, yeah. the genetically engineered <laughs> characters are miserable throughout, not just Jerome, but Uma Thurman's character. Like there's just, when you engineer people who are so like top tier, like, it's, it's the, 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 the syndrome thing, right? From Incredibles. If everyone's super, oh, no yeah. one is. So now everyone's special yeah. and no one is. And also there's just an intense amount of pressure on 100% of society nearly to do well because they've been given these. Yeah. Things. So I think the movie is pro underdog because ultimately we are all underdogs in some way or another, even the most elite of us. Um, and the difference is the most elite of us don't like that idea. They don't like to think that they're an underdog in some way, shape or form. That's why they're the elite. Um, and I think that this movie, if it does come down on a hard line, it's, it's not necessarily like have kids naturally. It's just like realize your circumstance and live to that because yeah, yes, Vincent does overcome that circumstance that he was born into and ultimately does end up going into space. But like, there's a great personal cost to him. And there's, there's not a lot of pressure on him aside from pressure that he's put on himself um, to perform, but it's not good enough for him. And so I think the movie even kind of rides the middle now that I'm talking through it. um, It even Mm -hmm. kind of rides the middle on that theme too where it's like you know there's there's a balance i think it's a movie all about balance it's almost very zen yeah in that way um where it's like okay if you're disadvantaged don't push yourself to become the elite like you know it's 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 like the the a knight's tale right like a knight's tale is this ultimate power fantasy of you know born into poverty and then you know rises to the ranks of a knight that's not how the feudal yeah. system worked at all. Uh, um, so <laughs> A Knight's Tale is total power fantasy. This is more like, hey, recognize your circumstances, live up to them, and then push beyond that. But if you immediately go beyond it, you're gonna you're gonna have a bad time. Like you're you're not gonna be happy. You're never gonna be satisfied. Even you know when Vincent gets to space, he's satisfied, <laughs> I guess. But what? What yeah. what's waiting for him when he gets back? Like when he gets back, what's the what is now? What you know? What what's next for him? I don't know. You know, and even something like First Man kind of asks that question. It kind of have you seen it yet? Yeah. No, but yeah, I know. It, it ends on this question of like he went to the moon. You know, like he. Yeah. What do you do after you go to the moon? <laughs> You just go back to your life? Like you didn't yeah, go to the like, moon? <laughs> you're like not the same person. Like what do you yeah. do? Um, so I, I just think that the movie is really contemplative. It's really philosophical. And it's really, I don't know. I think yes. it's, like I said, I think it's really elegant. I think it's a really elegant movie that has a lot on its mind and not that much to say. It has a lot of questions and I like a movie that asks yeah. me questions because I feel like I can interact with it. You know, it's a movie that I feel like I can respond to. It feels, this is going to sound pretentious and I'm sorry about that, but it feels like <laughs> it's alive. You know what I mean? Like it feels like I watched this movie by myself, but I found myself reacting to it. Like there was someone else there because it felt like there was a life to it. You know, it felt like an organism. Yeah. You want to talk to it. You want to, have this conversation with this like oh you're asking a lot of really good questions mm-hmm. like what do i think about this and yeah yeah uh so that's gattaca if you haven't seen it go see it i think it's one of the best sci-fi films 
ever made, um, hands down. Um, and I, I think sci-fi, sci-fi works at its best. And we'll talk about this, I'm sure, more than once throughout the podcast. There's kind of two, two versions yes. of sci-fi. There's like the pulpy serial Star Wars version, which is fine. Those are great adventures. They're really fun. Um, yeah. Love Star yeah, Wars. Star Wars, not super deep, right? Like, base level like there's there's like questions of the force and you know mj you have you have offended half of our I don't audience care, they're fine. No. um <laughs> the, but like you know there, yeah there's the question of the force and there's you know the family aspect and the great father son stuff and all that's really great it's not it's yeah. pretty surface level of that stuff though right star wars isn't a deep dive into anything um which is once again like i said totally fine uh star wars <laughs> is on my list we'll be talking about it I mean, it's real high on my list because that movie is incredible. Um, yeah. And a, a lot of the movies around it are pretty good, too. It, but, like, something <laughs> like Gattaca is real chewy, right? It's real dense. But yeah. It's, it, and I like that it's dense without ever feeling like it's condescending to the audience. Um, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's really it, it, inviting um, as far as the questions that it's asking. I feel like there's enough questions being asked that every viewer can take at least one question home with them. You know, yeah. Um, if there are certain art parts of the argument that people aren't interested in, there are other parts that they will be. Um, it just it's really comprehensive, and um, it just asks really deep questions that you're not going to get in a pulpy serial, you know, yeah, uh, uh, Star Warsy type of of space space opera, right? So there's like space opera, space, and then there's like yeah. philosophical sci-fi, and uh, honestly, but like. I have, I'm looking at a sort of a space opera, right? If we're talking about it, like Edge of Tomorrow. Uh, yeah. It's not that deep, right? It's no, a heck of a no. movie. But it's not, it's not that deep. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> um, and so, you know, sci-fi works best when it's got these like really heightened high adventure moments. Or it has these really almost, na- like, when it has something to say about the human condition and the human's yes um yeah because sci-fi kind of like comedy opens the door right because it it is Mm -hmm. there's there's an important part of the word sci-fi which is fi and that stands for fiction um where it takes place in this sort of fantastical future that is beyond where we are right it's 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 not it doesn't look like our society therefore it can force us to look at our Mm -hmm. society yeah um children of men is the one i'm dancing around here (laughs) um and (laughs) you know it's it's that's a movie that has a lot on its mind but it's a sci-fi movie so it's 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 got this sort of our society removed by one or two steps and i think i think social commentary is a really important part of that brand of sci-fi um you know twilight zone twilight zone is nothing but that yeah um, and this isn't Twilight Zoney in the fact that it's like, it's not really supernatural. It's m- definitely hard science, science fiction. Um, yeah. but I think it's, it's a movie that has a lot in common when it comes to the, the sort of just questioning where we are as a society and whether <laughs> or not it's good for us. And I think asking those questions yeah. is really good for us, regardless of what we it answer. It is good for us. On them. Yeah, I think it is. And I think that's why, like you were mentioning, you have the kind of, even within sci-fi, the different lanes of sci-fi. And I think this philosophical sci-fi that Gattaca falls into and these other movies, I feel like it is, like, they are really strong because it's like you said, it's like they are fiction, but they're only only a couple degrees removed from, like, you know, this could be a reality for Mm -hmm. us. Like, this could be a thing that really happens. And so, even though it is fiction, we suspend our disbelief, but there still is enough of, because it's more of this philosophical grounded in some reality, that it's like, okay, like, this helps me to, like, look at this bigger philosophical idea as opposed to, you know, some other more action-heavy sci-fi, even like Edge of Tomorrow, where there's not really... I'm suspending my disbelief so far with things that it's like, you know, it's not a movie that's trying to comment on society. 
and trying to like pull up this bigger theme. Yeah. Um, I mean, even NASA did a, uh, I'm still sharing my screen with you. You saw that. Um, even NASA, yeah. <laughs> uh, did a, 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 a study that Gattaca is the most plausible science fiction film ever made. That makes sense. According to, uh, in 2011, it was at the very least. Uh, fun fact, 2012, the Roland Emmerich movie was the least plausible. So there you go. Never saw that it's movie. It's real bad. All right. Yep. Um, so yeah, that's... There you go, everybody. That's Gattaca. Uh, do you have any anything else to add about Gattaca? No, I definitely... <clears throat> I would recommend it for you guys if you're interested in science fiction or if you like to think, you like philosophy... I think you should definitely check out this movie. It's real interesting. Got some of that noir vibe too, so that's cool. Yep. So yeah, I'd recommend yep. it. And there's actually there's a it. small twist that we didn't touch on that I'll I'll let you discover mm. for yourself. Yeah, because twists yep. are good. Um okay, so now we're on to Corey's 99th favorite movie of all time, The Wall. So but take not it away, really. Corey. Okay. There's two Army Ranger snipers in Afghanistan in 2007 and there's a wall and there's a and there's a sniper someplace else and the movie happens for an hour and a half and then it's over yeah yeah so uh so it's it's not Corey's 99th favorite movie of all time no if you can't tell by the excitement in my voice I mean it's it's fine I guess like I mean it's set on like in the backdrop of the Iraqi war, the war on terror. And it's, I think it says something at the beginning that the, the president had just ordered the troops to come back and leave Iraq. So these guys are still there technically. And it just kind of, we see them interact and then we see them get pinned down behind this wall. And then it kind of evolves into a psychological thriller and then the movie kind of implodes. Yep, yep, that's a that's about it. So it's a it's a film from 2016, 17, Is 17? It? something like that. Wow. Um, it's a recent film, uh, and it's directed by Doug Wyman. It was after Edge of Tomorrow. I know that. Um, and uh, mm-hmm. w- once again, we picked this because I have Edge of Tomorrow higher on my list. Corey's 99th movie is in fact Edge of Tomorrow. So we are doing another Doug Wyman movie. Yes. And because Corey hates me, he chose this movie. Hey, given the options of what we had, it was either this or Jumper. Hey, American Me! And... Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that was good, but we didn't do that. So here yep. we are. So um, so, it's, so this is a movie I had seen before I went into it. Because it... I, I like movies that take place in real time. And this movie kind of takes place in real time. Like Corey said, it's about two snipers that kind of get trapped behind a wall by an enemy sniper. It's a pretty simple setup. Yeah. Um, but, I, man. I... Okay, here's what I will say. It's so frustrating. Some pros before, before I get into my biggest qualms with sure. this movie. I like that it is creative in the way that somebody had this one idea that these people and that ultimately this one guy would be pinned down behind a wall and there's an enemy sniper and kind of using that to get into the psyche of this man. I think, you know, trying to craft that in a way around this singular idea and build tension and suspense, I think, for that, I mean, because that's that's the main set piece, mm-hmm. guys. Like that's literally all it is. There is a wall. There is a man behind the wall, and there is a lot of communication between him and this enemy sniper. And that's literally what the and movie we is. don't see the sniper. We don't see the sniper's face ever. We get a couple shots no. out through the through his scope, and that's it. Yeah, and so watching this as somebody who like the last couple years who has delved in to independent filmmaking and shot some short films. I actually looking at this as like the evolution from a single set 
short film to like a full motion picture, I was actually very impressed what they were able to do mm. in terms of just like one location, three actors, two actors, maybe some extra two. Okay. Two <laughs> actors. I mean, his body is there. The other guy's body is there. Uh, John Cena's body is there, but given all the, like the resources that they had and like just how limited this is, I feel like this movie is very successful in adapting what I feel like could be a short film. Like this honestly could be something that happens in like a 12, 13 minute short mm -hmm. film and taking it out to a full motion picture. It still is only an hour runtime. and 24 minutes. Yes. Which isn't super long, but you know, it qualifies as a feature. Yes. And so I think it succeeds in that realm. I mean, we'll, We'll talk about the ending very soon here, but like the aesthetic of the film, I feel like it works. Like I said, I feel like they do a good, a decent job of having suspense and even some way that we get exposition about our main American sniper who is behind the wall. I feel like, you know, the, the cause the whole thing is like he gets patched into the enemy snipers like radio, like the the enemy sniper like takes over his radio. And so they're talking back and forth. And through that, you get some of the exposition of who this American sniper character is and some stuff about him. And so I, I feel like, you know, there were some clever things with exposition instead of just like, you know, they could have done something really stupid where it's like he did an internal monologue himself. And, you know, so I, there's, there's, Good to decent ideas in the execution of so, this. I think because I've seen it twice, I have a yeah. little bit clearer lens than you do, pun not intended, on the movie. <laughs> I actually think it's really good. I think it's kind of incredible what they were able to do with, uh, with this premise because I like a movie... I, I like a movie that, that does a lot with a little, and I think this movie does that. I think you get... A really yeah. good sense of who these two men are. I think you get a good sense of, you know, not necessarily understanding between the two of them, but you know, there's that 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 adage that you know, one man's freedom fighter is another man's terrorist, and I think that's the ultimate theme this movie is going to explore or is trying to explore. Yeah, and I feel like it does. It's a really good, sensitive to both sides exploration of that you know um yeah the 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 iraqi sniper is sort of an unreliable character so he says he's just an iraqi citizen who's concerned about his country that's probably a lie but it may not be um you know i think aaron taylor johnson does a really good job portraying this you know sort of grunt a uh, military guy um, who's like yeah. there to do his job. Like he's under orders, you know, and he's there to do what he's been sent there to do. I think that um, it's really impressive uh, that a movie like this exists because the war on terror is such a hot button issue. And I feel like it's not, I feel like it's not overly political. Um, every war yeah, movie is yeah. inherently political, but I feel like there's no yes. real, you know, pro no. war message or pro or no. anti war message to it. I think it's not really interested in that. I think it's interested no. in the idea that war is part of our reality and we are in the midst of one. So yes. we just have to accept that because that's how the world is right now. And, yeah. um, we need to explore that as a given. Um, yeah. And I think it does a really good job of that. I like the back and forth that they have. Um, I like it. Like you said, I like the, the exposition about the American sniper that, or the American spotter, I guess that we get about why yeah. he's a spotter and not a sniper anymore and what happened to his partner. Yep. And I like the kind of like psychological games that the Iraqi sniper plays with him and then I yep, like that's really well yep. done. And yeah. and I like the 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 moments, the small moments of victory, like when John Cena is surprised alive, but then he gets shot and killed. 
or yep. when he's trying to put the helmet on the gun with the jacket and then the helmet falls over or when he, you know, I think it does a really good job of like being a really compelling movie um, given a simple setup. And I like that. Yeah. Um, and like I said, I like a movie that takes place in real time. Yeah, it builds the tension really mm-hmm. well. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so Corey, walk us through why we're uh, kind of praising this movie and we're still so cynical about it. Well, like we have talked about, it does a lot with the little, mm-hmm. and that's very impressive. Uh, the performances between the two actors, very well done. Uh, yeah, like all that stuff is really well done. We're cynical because the climax of the movie literally takes all the good tension, all the good storytelling, all the like the back and forth, and like you know you're finally waiting for this this resolution, the sigh of relief, and you feel like you have that. You feel like you're there, the helicopters have come, they're gonna rescue this guy, it looked like he got the other sniper, he gets in the helicopter, they're flying away, and then all of a sudden, there are gunshots, and you're like, oh crap, the sniper is still alive, and he shoots down the helicopter, and the helicopter plummets into the ground, explodes. And the way I failed to mention, the movie starts with, like, you see the sights of the enemy sniper. You don't know what you're seeing, but you see the sights between him and the American sniper. So the helicopter crashes, and the movie bookends with you see the helicopter in the sights of the enemy sniper. So basically saying the cycle is starting over again. You... And that's how the movie You forgot ends. the most important part, which is that terrible rock song over the credits. Uh, yes. The terrible rock song, which, I don't know, man. I turned the movie off, basically. Like, it went to black, and I was like, okay, I'm done. So, I couldn't even tell you what song that is. Oh, I couldn't either. But it's just one of those, like, crappy, like... It sounds like a rip-off Nickelback song. Like, it's just like... And you're like, really? Like, that's what we're gonna do? Yeah, so all that to say, it's, and like, I knew this was going to happen because you have told me that you're like, this movie is really great, and then the bottom falls out in literally the last 10 seconds, which is true. It happens in literally the last 10 seconds, and so I was prepared for this, but still, I have this thing when I watch movies and they do things like that to me where it's like the whole movie gets retconned or like a big chunk of it. I feel like the director is giving me a middle finger and like <laughs> I'm not like it just feels like I, you were telling me this story and it feels like you wasted my time. And so it's like, why did I even watch that? And so with that in mind, I tried to like give the director the benefit of the doubt. And because, like you were saying, this movie is more concerned about, like, we're in war. It's not overtly political, like, this side's right, this side's wrong. I think it's trying to show us this is the reality of war. This is, like, you're in it. This is what it feels like. And so my best understanding of this ending is basically to say, like, this is just another day in, like, how war plays out, you know? But it's just... And I get that. And I get that he's just trying to show, like, this is reality. This is how things happen. And that is that is a thematic story choice that he wanted to happen there. But it just, for me, it just feels like it just completely sucks the winds out of my sails. And that's probably the effect that they wanted. So good for them. But, you know, this being a psychological thriller, what it built up to... And the way that, like, you know, we'd say a classic psychological thriller should end, like, this movie goes against that. And so it's just, yeah. Those are my feelings. Um, I will echo that sentiment by saying this movie can piss right off. Uh, I remember (laughs) being so angry when I saw this movie. Um, (laughs) I was so angry because it's so well done. It's so, like... It's the attention is there, the performances are there, the you know, the 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 yeah. the, the the back and forths between the two men are really great and once again ambiguous. Like it rides a cool line of like not really endorsing either man, but kind of trying to be sympathetic to both sides and 
trying to get you in their headspace of each one of them. Now, ultimately, yes, the uh, American guy is the protagonist because he was just looking around and then he got shot. Um, yep. So, you know, you're that is the guy you root for, right? Like, it never, yeah. it never tells you any different. Um, but... Merka. Sure. Um, but... <laughs> it... It just like it, and so you get a victory for this guy, and then yeah. it's not like so. I saw it with Mike, my co-host on Real Perspective, and we didn't do an episode on the movie. We weren't scheduled to. We just kind of saw a movie together, and uh, I, he summed it up nicely, which was, "It snatches defeat from the jaws of victory." But, like, yes, which... that's the opposite of a good story. Well, again, this goes to what the writer and director wanted to communicate. So, well, and yeah, and you know, go I, ahead. No, and I agree with you, but I'm like, yeah, it just feels like we've gone through all this stuff and we finally have arrived and it's like story-wise and filmmaking-wise, it's like, yes, this is great. And then it literally all blows up. Yeah, well, and I think that that there, it's such an unnecessarily cynical ending for what is otherwise a movie that doesn't take a hard stance. Like, it, in that moment, it takes a hard stance of, like, this is war, like, F you. And it's like, okay, yeah, you can be angry about it, and you probably should be. Like, war shouldn't be a thing. But, like, uh, man, it, it just, it's such the wrong way to put that message in your movie. Like, it, it's yeah. just this, like... This is this is how it is, and you can't do anything to stop it, and it doesn't matter who wins or loses. Like, we all lose in the end, and it's like, okay, you can end a movie that way. That's fine. I'm fine with that. But that's not the movie you made for the last hour and 23 minutes and 50 seconds. Yeah. You know, you, this, th- that ending is to a different movie. And if they would have yeah. made that movie, it would have been fine. <laughs> and as a matter of fact, I'm glad you mentioned... That it's it's it feels like a short drawn out to an hour and twenty four minutes. One, I think it feels that way in a nice way. But two, um, yeah, I, I almost feel like this ending would have worked better in a short. Yeah, I think if it was like seven minutes and then this happened, it would have been like, whoa, dang. Because you know why? It's because in this movie we have sat in this for so long, been with this man for so long. All this stuff, like, it does a really good job of building that undercurrent of tension and giving us, like you said, like, the slight victories. Like, oh, John Cena's alive. And, like, oh, you know, he's able to to get the the other dead guy's pack and get the water and, like, the Skittles. Like, you have those moments of, like, victory that highlight the tension and then finally building to, like, this climactic thing. And it's like this guy has overcome this opposing force but then it's just all like, it doesn't matter in the end. It, it's like you said, it feels because we've sat with it for so long, it doesn't feel right. If it was a short film, I could probably get on board with that a lot more because I haven't invested like an hour and however many minutes with this guy. Yeah, well, and I think it would make you go, well, that's how war is. You know, yes. I feel like that would be, if that was the, that, that is definitely the intention of, the piece, and but I feel like if it was like seven minutes and then you got it, you'd be like, oh yeah, that's like that's the reality those people have to deal with. Like that, it's an uncertain reality. Like nothing is guaranteed in war. That's a good theme. That's yeah. a theme that should be explored. That's a theme that has been explored in other movies a lot better. Platoon, which is a movie I don't like, but it's better than this. Um, you know, it just it, it, even uh, 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 the the other Vietnam one uh, with the drill sergeant, Full uh, Metal Jacket. Um, yes, Full Metal yeah. Jacket, I think, does that really well, almost to a fault. Once again, another movie I only kind of like, um, <laughs> but I think that movie does. But the movie's built around that. Yeah, the movie is from the, mo- the get-go cynical, and this one isn't. Yeah, it's like very, yeah, very cynical, kind of like nihilistic. Mm-hmm. But this is not that movie. Yeah, no, it's not. It's this. This is a movie that's trying to find humanity in the horror of war, but then ops out of it at the end <laughs> like literally the last second possible yeah it's so dumb and it was funny because my wife was like cleaning and 
like <laughs> doing stuff around the house while I was watching the movie and she started to get sucked into it. And I kept kind of being like, um, Hey, like, do, do, do oh, I, no. I kept kind of like checking in with her to be like, um, do you want me to tell you how this ends <clears throat> so you can go and do whatever it is you need to do? Not because I'm sexist and want my wife to do all the household chores while I'm sitting on my boat watching movies, but because I know how this thing ends <laughs> and I know she's going to be like, well, hell I should have just been cleaning. Uh, yes. <laughs> um, so that's how she I was felt. Like, no, I think I can finish it. I think I can finish it. And um, then I had to use the restroom. So I paused it and she was like, okay, maybe I should clean. So just tell me how it ends. And I told her and she was like, wow, that's stupid. And she was like, so <laughs> would you have liked the movie otherwise if it didn't end that way? And I was like, yeah, you've been sitting here watching it with me. Like, it's great. Like, I felt the vibe from you where you were sitting there going, why doesn't he like this? This is really good. I've gotten sucked into it from just like listening to it while I'm washing dishes. Um, yeah. And like, I felt that coming off of her. And then I told her and she was like, oh yeah, no, that's real dumb. That's a real dumb ending. Uh, yeah. So I just, I don't know, man. Um, so I mean like, yeah, you guys, you guys listening. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't recommend watching no. it. I mean, you can. You can if you want yeah. to. Um, I feel like there's other movies worth more of your time. Like I said, I feel like this... It does what it wants to do with a limited budget and a limited set piece, and it's very impressive, but it just stumbles at the end. So hard. I mean, I just don't... I don't... I Yeah, I don't like that artistic choice and... I'd rather, yeah, I'd rather go watch something else. I'd rather, like, there's hundreds of things I would rather go watch than yeah. this. And I think it would have been better in some ways as just, like, a, you know, a short film. I I feel like <clears throat> it was good at what it did. If it wanted to have that sort of ending, I think it, like you said, it would function a lot better as a short. Yeah. Yep. Man, what a waste of a movie, man. A literal waste of a movie, because it's a great movie until that final scene. And then you're like, why did I waste my time? I watched this movie at the last possible moment because I knew this was going, like, I wanted, like, I love doing this podcast. I love talking to you guys. I love talking about movies. I love watching filmmaking. But even, like, I had to force myself to sit down and watch this movie. Like, okay, Corey, like, focus on other things like the visuals or what the characters are saying. <laughs> Because you had told me, and I just knew. I was like, oh, I'm going to hate this. I am going to hate this because all of this won't matter. Yep. And it didn't. Yep. It didn't sure matter. Didn't. Sure And didn't. the enemy sniper is still alive. So, Yeah, so when I was talking to people about this movie after I saw it, and uh, they were like, ah, so it was all a dream. Or, ah, so it was all a flashback while he was in the hospital. And every time I would go, that would have been a better ending. You just wrote a better ending. Yeah, you did. <laughs> um, yeah, what a stupid movie, man. I'm so upset. Yeah, I am. I'm upset, all too. Right. I am much looking forward to our movies for next week, for next Me time. Me, too. Uh, strap in. It's going to be... It's a lot. Next week's demanding. Uh, our next episode. Yes, it is. This is. These are not short movies, you guys, and these are not easy movies to watch, <laughs> as far as complexity goes. Uh, yes. Yeah. So, um, Corey, MJ, what do we have coming from sure, you? My number ninety-eight favorite film of all time, which I somehow didn't get crap over um, when we talked about this is L.A. Confidential. Now, if you remember from episode zero, if any of you listened to episode zero, I have not seen more than uh, an hour of L.A. Confidential, and I think it's two and a half hours long. Um, it's a really good movie, and I can say that without having, having seen, seen all of it. It's just, it's so, it's a movie that I've started watching like three times and haven't had the time to finish, but it's such a movie that, I feel like is so well crafted that you have to sit there and dedicate it, dedicate, dedicate your time to it all in one sitting. It's a noir movie, um, which is my second noir movie yep. in a row. Um, but this is much more traditionally noir. It follows the lives of uh, 
two police detectives, or it follows the, the lives of a police precinct in Los Angeles in the 50s, and sort of the glitz, glamour, murder, drugs, and sex that follows that scene around. Um, and it's this, um, you know, it's this revisionist look at the 50s. It's not quite stylized the way something like a gangster squad is, but it's a lot more gritty and a lot more real than something like, say, the Maltese Falcon or a Big Sleep. You know, the Big Sleep yeah. is this noir movie and book. That gets away with what it can for the time. But this came out in 1997. My second 1997 noir movie in a row. Um, wow. Yep. And uh, it, it just is so well done. And the like. It, it has a really cool narrative structure to it. Like the way the characters interact with each other and weave in and out of their stories is really nice. It's got a heck of a cast. Um, Guy Pierce, Danny DeVito, James Cromwell, Kim Basinger, Russell Crowe. Russell. Uh yeah, it's not uh, he's good in it, but you know Kevin Spacey. So, um, yeah. you know, <laughs> um, there's that, um, and it, yeah, it just it's really good. It's really well done, and that's all I can say about it because I haven't seen it. So that's my number ninety eight uh, favorite film of all time is L.A. Confidential, which is a film I have not seen all the way through. So. Wow, I am. I hope I'm right about it. Interested <laughs> to see what is going on with if this. This ends like the wall. I'm gonna feel real dumb. So you've literally only seen like like the first twenty minutes like the of first it. Forty, forty-five, maybe. All right. Well, yep. We're we're gonna be in for a treat. Um, I think it won Best Picture. I know it was nominated. It won two Oscars. Yeah. I saw for something. Yep. Um. Let's see. Oh, yeah, I guess that makes sense. It, it lost to Titanic, I think. Oh, okay. Well, that makes yep. sense. Yep. Anyway. Uh, MJ, I have a question sure. for you. What do you do after you make a super successful dark take on a superhero? Uh, you, you, you lean back and take a vacation so you can make the third one as good as possible? What do you do in between? <laughs> Not that. <laughs> well. And boy, uh, does that show in the third one. <laughs> yes. So if you can't guess by my loose hinting, um, we're going to be talking about Christopher Nolan next time. And the movie that we're going to be watching is Inception, which came out in 2010 after the Dark Knight came out in 2008. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, talk about complex and open-ended and a lot to process and digest. Um, there's a lot going on in Inception, and it's been a while since I've Same. seen it. So I'm, I think, looking forward to watching it again. But there's a lot of cool stuff that goes on in Inception. I feel like... I don't know. My take, like when it came out, it got really overhyped, but there's a lot of cool visual stuff, like from a cinematography point of view. And there's some interesting things with storytelling. And so that's why this has made it on my list. It's not necessarily my favorite movie. Cause I think I've only seen it like twice maybe, but there's a lot of stuff that left an impression on me. Uh, yeah. I saw this movie four times in theaters. I Dang. was real into it, man. I was so into it that I borrowed money from a friend um, <laughs> to buy the special edition Blu-ray that was hand-numbered numbered, and limited to only 500 copies. And it came in a replica of the briefcase and comes with a replica of the top. Um, wow. Yeah, it was $50. I spent $50 on the Blu-ray for Inception. <laughs> Um, yeah, Dang. I'm looking at it on top of my DVD shelf right now, actually. Um, I was so obsessed with this movie. I was so obsessed with this movie. I thought it was so good when it came out. I traveled two hours out of my way to see it in IMAX, um, and then saw it another three times after that. I've seen it probably twice since then, and it has been since it came out that I've seen it, probably. And I'm honestly a little bit nervous. To see how it's going to hold up? Yeah, I feel like it might not there's i i hope it does but i have a sneaking suspicion that it might not i i feel like you know and 
the the career of Christopher Nolan could be its own podcast, but I feel like it's I would put it in still in like the list of his stronger movies. I think so. Definitely more than something like Interstellar or Dark Knight Rises. Um, yeah, yeah. I think I also think I, so. When I saw it that many times in a row, the first hour is really hard to get through. Not through yeah. the fault of the movie at all, but it kind of feels like getting a board game explained to you. Yeah. But then when you get a board game explained to you and then you go back the next night to play the board game, you know the rules already so you can just start playing the game. Inception yep. is like getting a board game explained to you, getting to play the game, and then if you go see it again that same weekend, you still got to sit through the rules explanation. But you're not a new player to that it. Is. And also, it's like, it's like, it's it's not like, it's movies are such an individual experience while you're sitting in a dark room in silence um, that you yes. know there's new players around the table. So that first hour has to be there, but you're not there to answer their questions as an experienced player as they're asking. them. Yes. Yeah. Um, there's less interaction there. So it feels like the movie or board game is being explained to you directly, but you already know how it works. So you got to wait an hour to get to the hour and a half where the board game is actually played. Yeah. Um, now, like I said, it's been probably seven years since I've seen the movie. So I've forgotten enough about it to um, kind of like, yeah, and you know, be it, okay it, with it, I think. And it didn't make it onto your list. So something happened. Yeah. yeah it's just because it had been so long and I wasn't sure. Yeah. That's why. All right. Well, that will be quite an episode. Yeah. So you guys should definitely come back for that. You know, uh, check out LA Confidential and Inception. It's going to be a good time. <laughs> <laughs>